this is like one of the times when I wish we were like a real history podcast. <laughs> Hey, and welcome to Meet Your Heroes. I'm Elliot. And I'm Audrey. And this is where we ignore the conventional wisdom to never meet your heroes and instead get to know who they really were. It's exactly what we do. Every week. Every week. Without fail. Yes. Except when we fail. We have failed. Yes. But not this week. In fact, we're releasing this episode early. Yeah. This is, oh, is this an early episode? This is, this is an emergency episode. Yeah, so this week... Do we week, have, like, a siren or something? I feel like this is... Hold on, wait. Uh, let me see if I can find a quick sound effect. Perfect. That was good. That was good. Great. Well, this week, uh, there's a lot happening in the world. Just, like, an incomprehensibly large amount of very heavy, overwhelming stuff. Yeah, it's shitty. And so I polled our followers, and I said, for this week's podcast, would you like... Something that is mindless to help you take your mind off of everything that's happening in the world? Or would you like something with more relevancy? Mm. And overwhelmingly, people said something relevant. Wow, that is shocking. Because when I think of us, I think totally irrelevant to the problems of the world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this isn't, this is, this is relevant adjacent. Okay, okay. Fair is <laughs> what I'll say. Uh, but I was inspired by a meme to pick this person this week. So this week, there have been a number of organized protests in cities across the country uh, that a lot of folks like to call riots. Yes. They really like to point out the moral indiscretion they believe to be looting. The property damage is where people get fixated. Yes, the property damage. And I saw a meme talking about how... Folks really want to be up in arms about property damage and looting, but are all like, fuck yeah, about the Boston Tea Party. Mm. And so I was like, fuck yeah, let's talk about the Boston Tea Party. Let's do it. And so today we're actually going to talk about King George III, who was the ruling king of the quote unquote British Empire. And the British colonies. At the time of the Boston Tea Party. So with respect to the protest started by, in response to the murder of George Floyd. Yes. But also in reaction to the murder of countless thousands, tens of thousands of black men and women in our country at the hands of, at the hands of police. Yes. For the people who got annoyed at the property damage aspect of that, as opposed to the human killing another human part of that mm -hmm. this week's hero king george iii indeed oh and um before we go on something just occurred to me that i want to make clear i certainly don't want there to be any false equivocation between the protesters of today in the last five days mm -hmm. and the uh, colonists this is not a like there's there's probably good people on both sides. I wanted to very clearly state that colonizing is bad. The colonists in general took things that were not theirs. It's very different than sure. yes. protesting right. for things that are basic human rights. Yeah. But in this equation, needless to say, King George is still way shittier than the colonists. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. For like a very brief three hours in, 
1773, the colonists are going to be the heroes. Okay. Good. But that's it. <laughs> and I mostly just want to, I, I want to point that out because, you know, white people don't have a problem with specific behaviors from other white people. Yeah. It's, right. it's bringing, it's seeing those same exact behaviors and democratic tools wielded against the very system that they benefit from. That they benefit from. Yeah. All right. So, okay. So, put, Paint All that picture. is to say. Paint the picture for us. It's seven. It's the mid to late 1700s. Okay, way back. Yep. Uh, you might remember some episodes about Napoleon, Marie oh. Antoinette. Okay, we're Napoleon, Marie Antoinette days. Yes. The British are colonizing, <laughs> heading they, into India. That's what they do about this time. Doing some things. Yep. The steam engine is actually invented around this time. Oh. So if that helps you with your historical perspective or context. What year in 1700s? Uh, the steam engine was, I can't believe I remember this from all the Googling I did today, was um, 1761. Okay, so the, it, the steam engine, it's actually about 100 years until we get gasoline engines that are reliable and available. I learned that last week. <laughs> According to last week's episode. Okay, but I gotcha. So here's where we are. Yep. And during this time period, King George III becomes king. Do you know anything about George the Third. So I kind of do. Hate to brag about this one. <laughs> uh, Tell but, me more. Uh, so I happened to see a touring production of Hamilton, mm. and uh, needless to say, King George is a great character. Interesting. Played by originally the man who voices one of the villains in the Frozen movies for Disney. So this absolutely has nothing to do with King George. <laughs> Sorry. What were <laughs> we talking about? Two worlds colliding. What were we talking about? Yeah, okay. So about King George, yes. He was the king at the time that the Americans were really getting annoyed at being treated like the colony they were at the time. Indeed. And I remember that he was renowned for singing humorous comic relief songs to mm. break up the acts of the show. Oh, in Hamilton. I was like, because that did not happen in real life. <laughs> this motherfucker barely said anything. Okay, got it. He's very got shy. It. Got it. Um, so, but, so the real King George? Yeah, no, very little. Mm, no, very little. Okay, cool. Well, let's take it back to the beginning. Got it. Born June 4th, 1738. Feels like an insensitive episode to do Audrey's Astrology Corner, so... But, wait, are we... But are, is that going to stop you? I mean, I have it. <laughs> I've debated about whether or not I should include it. You know what? Give the people what they want. Give the people what they want. All right. Gemini's born June 4th combine daring with practicality and discipline with artistry. They have a sparkling personality and are very much aware of the effect they have on others. They need to be honest with themselves in order to keep from using this talent to unfair advantage. June 4th individuals have a hard science bent and may look for a career in which they can practice one of these scientific disciplines. Also, careers in defense work or communication are profitable choices for these individuals. Their financial fortunes tend to rise and fall depending on their ability to manage things. Well, that seems ominous. I feel like at this point we have so many data points. We've got like <laughs> seven. Clearly the stars don't lie. The best part about this is that there will only ever be 12 data points. <laughs> like that is the maximum. No, 365. They're daily. It's not just month. Well, you're trying to tell me that we could have Gemini, 366 technically if we get a February 29th. You're trying to tell me the Gemini's 
have a different horoscope for each day of the Gemini. Are you new here? Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what has been happening. This is not Gemini's or this. It is Gemini's born on June 4th. <sighs> All right. Okay. So it sounds like a very apt description and ominous because his ability to manage things will determine his success. Right. That's called foreshadowing. <laughs> um, anyway, so he's born two months early and everyone is like, this motherfucker's going to die. Someone come baptize him quick. So he gets a baptism right away. Everybody really thinks he's going to die. Spoiler alert, does not die. Oh, you ruined it. But what happens is that as a result of this early trauma, his mother becomes very overbearing. Mm. And we know what happens when a mother becomes overbearing on this podcast. So she's overbearing with him in ways that she is not with her other children. Also, he's the heir to the throne, so she's additionally protective. Okay. So he grows up kind of shy. He's a pretty smart dude. He could read and write in English and German by the time he was eight. He also, it's noted that he could, like, comment on political events and had opinions about them during his early teens. Oh, that's, oh, let me just tell you, there's nothing, like, better than An the, 11 opinions, year old. <laughs> the opinions of 11-year-olds on, com- on current events. Yeah, shut the fuck up, nerd. <laughs> anyway, so he was the first in the British monarch to study science systematically, as in, like, there's a curricula for this, and it had progression. It included uh, astronomy and mathematics. Um, Those were new sort of areas of study. Oh. Which will tell you that. Math was not new. As part of like a a progressive curricula. Before that, you were just learning like languages and the. Reading books about. The art of being rich and fancy. Sure. Okay. Like that sort of stuff. But they're like, they're by the time we're like, oh, welcome to the modern age where we're going to. Make the king learn stuff. Yes. Got it. Yes. Or the the boy who will be king, whatever. Right. He was second in line to the throne behind his father, Prince Frederick. Uh, But his grandfather, George II, did not like Prince Frederick. And so instead of spending time grooming... Wait, is this like the Prince Charles deal? Yes, it's just like the Prince Charles (laughs) deal. So instead of investing time grooming Frederick for being king... Prince George is like, get the fuck out of the way, Frederick. I'm chilling with George III. The grandkids. Yes. God, grandparents and their grandkids. Just spoil What's them. What's the deal with skip that? Skip the parents and just make the grandkids the rulers. Right, right. I mean, if my parents... Shit. Yes. Yeah, if my parents were uh, in charge of a monarchy and our kid was like, I want to be king before my mom, they'd be like, cool. You can have it. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not that they aren't lovely people. So Frederick dies of a lung injury when he's just 44. Oh, which solves that problem. Real quick. Bumps George III up to the role of heir apparent much sooner than he otherwise would be. He goes through school. Around the time he's like 21, his grandfather's like, hey, I have this whole palace for you. Come chill with me. I'll teach you the ins and outs. And his mom was like, no, no, no. He's going to stay living with me. So she could, quote, imbue him with her strict moral values. Wait, the king's like, come learn how to be a king. And the mom's like, no. Yes. I'm going to protect your chastity. Like, what's going on here? Yeah. What I found is that world leaders who have overbearing mothers. Yeah. And shitty fathers. Mm, Or dead ones and shitty ones. 
tend to not make great world leaders. Turns out. So he makes it a full 22 years of just chilling before he has to take over the throne. Twenty Wait, 22 years old when he takes over? Mm-hmm. His grandpa dies suddenly, and overnight he becomes king. How it happens? He's 22. Okay. Do you know any 22-year-olds? <laughs> I did. Mm-hmm. They're real shitheads. Would you let them be the... Uh, Ruler of an entire kingdom. I feel like it, if I lived back then, it really wouldn't be my call. But if I got to decide, I would <laughs> right. say I would say no, no, thank you. Would you let a twenty-two-year-old take over a kingdom five years into a seven-years war? Again, less than ideal. If I had a say in it, which I probably <laughs> wouldn't have. But no. So you can imagine the sort of instability that. Wait, just one question before we go on. Sure. When they started this war, did they call it the Seven Years' War? Right. They're like, hey, you got two more years of this, buddy. Get ready. So anyway, five years into a war. Five years into a war. Okay. Uh, Multi-country, big, expensive war. A lot of instability mm-hmm. when he takes the throne. Sure. Also, as a side note, just specific to the British Parliament at the time, there was a lot of drama between the Tory party and the Whigs. Oh, no. I know. So he's this 22-year-old coming into, like, a global crisis and also, like, cat fights in his parliament. Sure. Not prepared for this. But in general, he is favorable among the people, specifically and especially because he is the first king to be born in England in this family of rulers. His grandfather and the king before that were actually born in Hanover, Germany. Wait, what? Yeah, so it was like a house of Hanover rulers. So he's the first one who's like, I was born in England. I've lived in England my whole life. The British England royals is home. had been born in Germany? Yes. I did not like go back and do too much research because I didn't want this podcast Man, to Man, this is like hours. one of the times when I wish we were like a real history podcast. <laughs> know, right? I'm so curious. But yeah, <laughs> right. okay. Keep, yeah. So the too long didn't read version <laughs> yes. is they liked him because he was like one of them. Okay, fair enough. He's ruling for a couple years, the war ends, and uh, there's a treaty signed. A very vocal critic of George III is like, you just spent a shit ton of money, your parliament's falling apart, the treaty that you signed to end this war is garbage, and it's not going to help. And this man's name is John Wilkes, and George is like, fuck you, you're in jail. When you get out of jail, I'm sending your ass to France. Wow, did did not take that well. Did not take the constructive feedback well. Does not love it. Does not like being criticized in the press. few more years. Uh, at this point, it's 1763. The war has ended. And George III, who now is like 25, was like, war sucks. We need to chill out. This is no fun. No. We got all this land in North America from France. But also, we are deeply in debt. We have no money for like our own land currently. So he, they got all this land basically between the Mississippi River and Appalachian Mountains. That was before previously French-owned land. They already had from... And by owned, that is such a terrible way to phrase it. Yeah, it was French-claimed land. French-claimed land, yes. And technically before this, the the British already had had claimed Appalachia to the coast on the East Coast. To Georgia. Oh, to Georgia. Yep. But so, not Florida. Okay, so all the way down the East Coast to Georgia, but not Florida. Mm-hmm. The British had claimed that. And then after this war, they also 
took over the land claim that the French had made from Appalachia to the Mississippi River. Yes. Got it. And the war ends and King George is like, oh, shit, we have all this land now. I bet the colonists are going to want to expand. And if they do that, we can't provide any defense against Native Americans or the French people who are still there who probably want their land back. So I'm going to draw this line right down the Appalachian Mountains and tell the the British colonists, don't go past this line. But even though they technically won the claim of this land, which is, again, the claim, the illegitimate claim from the Native people, even though they won this claim in this war, he's saying don't go and move over there. Right. And in general, it's called the Proclamation Line. Um, And in general, the Proclamation Line did not bother the majority of like settled farmers and people who live in established cities. Yeah, because you're not fucking moving your farm across a line. You're just like, well, cool. I got my farm here. That's don't want to farm over there. Right. But there is this vocal minority who was like, I'm going to Ohio. I don't have a farm yet and I want one. I don't have a farm yet. And you're not here. So you can't tell me what to do. And they go. And so George III is like, okay, I hear you. <laughs> can't stop you and if you're gonna go ahead and go then y'all are gonna have to pay taxes to help for the defense which was basically an like a ruse it was totally an excuse there were so few british colonists going apart they did not give a shit if they got murdered by french folks oh okay not at all got it but they were like if you're gonna go and our soldiers are still over there then you're gonna have to pay for that really what they were doing was imposing a tax because they were so deeply in debt mm. from the Seven Years' War. And the people in Britain didn't have any money that they could then be more taxed on. And so the king was like, well, you know, the colonists are barely being taxed. Let's start by taxing their molasses. Just a little bit here, a little bit there. Wait, so the, is the molasses tax separate from the tax for crossing this line or no? There's no tax for crossing the line. There's no penalty for crossing oh, the line. but if you cross the line, there's a molasses tax? No, no, no. So they cross the line. Yep. And George is like, how how can I like leverage their misbehavior into getting money for us? Oh, so some people cross the line. Everybody has to pay a molasses tax? Yes. How y'all like that? <laughs> y'all money like y'all does that. this. Everybody pays more for molasses. Yes. You happy? Okay, got it. This doesn't go over well. And No, because then fucking molasses cost an arm and a leg nowadays. Honestly... <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't how much they were being taxed because it was it was not a lot. It did not like skyrocket. It's the principle. It's of actually the, thing. the principle of it. Yes, they're like, how dare you tax our molasses when we don't even have a, a seat in the parliament? You're thousands of miles away, and you're gonna tell me that all of a sudden I have to pay you money whenever I buy molasses? That is some bullshit. Yeah, I'm honestly I'm with them on this one. So this is the the early simmerings of no taxation without representation. Mm, that, that's catchy. It is catchy, right? Uh, George does not care at all. Does not care. In fact, passes another, the Stamp Act. The audacity. The audacity. Turns out not making bank on the molasses. Because how much molasses are you going to buy? I mean, like, granted, I'm sure it's great, but, like, you're only going to eat that much molasses. Yes. And there's the simmerings of this insurrection happening. And so George III and his parliament are like, hmm, that's probably not good. How is this information being distributed? Pamphlets, newspapers. Why don't we just tax 
the paper that all of these printers use. All legal documents, you know, there's a lot of legal documents happening when you're just like stealing land and then like parsing it out. Yep. Newspapers, anything that was printed. The Stamp Act of 1965 uh, was a direct tax. 1965? Okay, that is different. (laughs) Turn on the Wayback Machine. (laughs) Yes. Uh, it was a direct tax that required all printed materials to be printed on stamped paper that was then imported from London. Oh, oh, so stamp. So we're not talking about the tax like on stamps for mail and stuff. Mm-mm. We're saying like the, literally the only paper you can use, the only communication, which again is basically like everything. Every way you communicate has to be on this special paper that has a special stamp. Yes. You have to use our paper and pay our prices for our paper. Yes. Got it. Control over the means of communication. Absolutely. I could imagine an idiot king trying to exert control over the means of communication. Hugely unpopular. So unpopular, in fact, that the leaders of the Loyal Nine... Do you know anything about the Loyal Nine? I know 0%. Okay. So without going on too far of a tangent, the Loyal Nine was a secret society of, quote-unquote, American patriots who uh, organized... American patriots before there was a real America here. Right. Yes. Um, They organized and they helped people take action against what they saw as tyrannical government actions. Okay, so so these secret groups that are helping organize people to take action against a tyrannical government Mm -hmm. ultimately lead to all of the freedoms that get us our Constitution. They're they're one of the pieces in that machine. Yes, exactly. Okay, good to know. Good to know. Yep. So they encourage a mob to destroy property belonging to the government. Effigies are hung. Houses are burned and property is looted. Interesting. They're like, Interesting. you don't like this fucking stamp tax? You don't like not having a say in a system that's created and then takes and takes and takes from you? Burn that shit to the ground. Yeah, it's almost like if there's a social contract that implies reasonable treatment for protection and the payment of taxes, and then that contract is not honored or is not reasonable anymore, like, oh, the other social guarantees where we respect that property and that right. government authority also go out the window. Big time. So in addition to burning houses down Mm -hmm. and hanging effigies, the colonists then spend years campaigning against this tax and against George and his government. So wait, they're burning shit and they're pursuing political change simultaneously. Those are not mutually exclusive. Look at this. Look at that. They are petitioning on this fucking paper they have to pay for. They protest and they also get in a whole lot of fights with the British military that has been sent to maintain order in the British colonies. Fuck the redcoats. Fuck the redcoats. George's government at this point is like, yo, dude, we got to tamp down this rebellion. We cannot lose control over the colonies and we basically are losing control in the colonies. So he brushes it off. He's like, whatever. You know, there's 4,000 redcoats left over there as part of just like they're sending military to the to the um, British colonies, he's like, you know what? We're not making enough money on this molasses or these stamps. We need to pass this Townsend Act. And the Townsend Act taxes, it's a direct tax on paint. Wait, you say, you're saying direct tax. What does direct tax mean? It's like um, as it's being imported, 
you have to pay the tax up front. You have to pay it before it comes off the boat. Before it comes off and the so boat. And so it's not like you're you're trusting the shopkeepers to tax this. It's right. like, it's one of these, we call them tariffs now, all the yes. tariffs from China, where it's like somebody comes in before literally somebody steps foot holding it in America. Yes. They have to pay money to take it off the ship. Indeed. Got it. So they're taxing paint, paper, glass, lead, and what do you know, tea. Don't. Oh, my God. Don't fuck with the British people's tea. You know what? I really did not realize what fucking with somebody's tea would do. This was serious. <laughs> I was like, oh, they're dumping tea. It's a political statement. These motherfuckers drank 1.2 million pounds of tea a year. One, Say that again. They have very few luxuries in British colonial America. 1.2 million pounds of tea. Pounds. Oh, my God. All right, so let's jump back across the ocean. It's 1768. We're on British soil. This exiled writer that we talked about earlier, John Wilkes, comes back. And he was like... Oh, he was the one that was, that was, that was calling King George's shit out before from yes. this, this peace treaty. Yes. So he's been exiled for like six, seven years. But he comes back to the UK. He comes back and he's like, remember that original article that I wrote about you that got me thrown in jail and exiled? Here it is plus 10 more. And I got a <laughs> fucking collection, motherfucker. What do you think? You think I've been sleeping? <laughs> right. No, been in a lab with a pen and a pad. Yes, exactly. So the king is like, this is slander. This is fake news. You're going back in jail. This time, however, the British people were like, yo, what the fuck? And they riot. The British people the riot. The British people riot. George then immediately sends troops to intervene. They're like... At, at a place that a mob has convened. Troops get there. The first thing they do is they read the riot act. I assume that's important. Didn't look it up. Wasn't hyperlinked. We can... Wait, read the riot. Okay, so I've heard I've heard this phrase before. Right. Reading but... somebody the riot act. But apparently, that like, the, like when there was a mob in Britain in the yes. day, they would actually read a fucking thing like, here's the riot act says you can't riot, you can't so go this. home. Yes. <laughs> the fact that reading somebody the riot act is actually like, oh, excuse me, excuse me, angry mob... This is illegal, like tapping the paper. This is illegal. <laughs> Gotta go home. Can't do that. Read the riot act Didn't and work. then opened fire on the crowd that has assembled. Yeah, that's usually more effective. And also way shittier. Killed six people. This event became known as the Massacre of St. George's Field and sort of set the stage for this hardline approach that would characterize King George's reign. Don't see what can go wrong with this. What could go wrong? I just wanted to point that out that there's like Insurrection happening in, happening in multiple places, and violence is like the first thing. Yeah, the first first, 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 first thing is violence, and generally gets the short term results that he wants. Yes, it's 1770. So seven years before is when the Stamp Act was passed. Five years since the Townsend Act, the colonists are being taxed. They still have no representation. George and his Parliament are like, okay, you know what? We will repeal the Townsend Act. Too far, we goofed. Taken off the tax on tea because... No. Took the tax off of everything except tea. What? Because, quote, there must always be one tax to keep up the right to tax. Oh, that's... mm, That's not going to go over well. It does not go over well, like many things that George III does to the colonists. So on the same day that this, this law is repealed, a lot of folks, a lot of colonists are like, okay, that's fine, I guess. But like, why are you still taxing us on tea? You could just literally let us have a say in how you govern us. Give us some rights and a voice at the table. 
we might not burn this shit to the ground. George is like, shut the fuck up. Don't want to hear from you. This law is repealed. And on that same day, there are some British soldiers and a mob of colonists who get in an altercation. It's a little he said, she said situation. Don't really know who antagonized who, but there were snowballs thrown and rocks and batons. Uh, But only the British soldiers open fire and Mm. kill five people. Yeah. Tensions are high. What do you think George III does? Um, I'm guessing not take an apologetic stance and seek to find a common ground. Not a goddamn thing. He basically was like, I care less about these people than I care about the revenue from that $1.2 million or 1.2 million pounds of of tea. tea they consume. Cut to three years later. It's May 1773. Parliament is like, okay, so they still don't want to pay taxes. And honestly, we're not in a war. It's been a decade. The amount of taxes we collect is less important than just being able to collect tax. Just like the concept of taxes. So this is the very, very abbreviated version. George goes to the East India Company and says, hey, I will give you a monopoly to directly import all of your tea to the United States instead of it coming to England and then being put on boats. And there's, right, just... All these middlemen. You just get direct line. Direct line, and we will pay you a portion of the taxes. East India Company's like, hell yeah, that's great. It also allows George III to better monitor the amount of tea that's being delivered. Because obviously... When you tax something and you make it difficult to get. There's a black market. There's all these people trying yes. to get around the system. Yeah. Some of our founding fathers were like tea smugglers. <laughs> that was like how they gained their power. They were smuggling in this tea from lots of places. Fucking criminals. Criminals. They were outside the law because the law was wrong. Right. And you know what? They were just like, fuck the redcoats. Fuck the law. Unjust. Doesn't bind me. Indeed. So direct line delivering this tea. Parliament also reduces the duty on the colonies uh, for what they would have to pay for these these this tea. Their thinking is like, okay, so the Americans get their tea and it's cheaper than ever before. The colonists are like, nice try. Again, it's not about the amount of money we have to pay. It's about the fact that you're making us pay and we don't get any say in the system whatsoever and we will not pay until we have parliamentary representation over the next six months boatloads literally boatloads not like hyperbolically boatloads like actual boatloads were the only option (laughs) yes boatloads of tea arrive in the harbors in uh new york city and philadelphia from this new east india company hookup yep And the way that the colonies' laws were written, each had some specific rights, states' rights, you might call them. Mm -hmm. And those boats that arrive in New York and Philadelphia, they get turned away. The the governors can be like, we don't want that. We're not going to pay for it. Send it back to wherever you came from. India, sounds like. India, Britain, like wherever these boats are arriving from. They were able to send the tea back peacefully. Boston did not go as smoothly yeah let's just say boston's reputation persists yes so you also have to remember that the british army has killed multiple people in boston specifically Uh. it's december 
1773, so like six months later after the tax has been reduced mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the colonies are still like, we're not paying. Three boats show up. They're like, beep, beep. We got some tea. They're met in the harbor by a mob of 7,000 people. 7,000. In a town of 14,000. It's a solid protest. It's a solid protest. So obviously 7,000 people can't go negotiate with these boats. I mean, yeah, they could try, I guess. They create a committee, and this committee goes to the customs collector in the harbor. It's like somebody's job. The person who, whose job it is literally to make sure this stuff doesn't get off the boat till the tax is paid. Yes. They're like, send it back. We're not paying the taxes. We don't want it. Just turn it around. Open the harbor. Let them out. And the customs collector, who was instructed by the governor, says, I can't let them go until they pay a fee. Any guesses why the specific Massachusetts governor would not let these boats out? Um, the king said, don't let them out until they pay the fee? His sons made money off of this situation. Good old corruption. Good old corruption. So the governor's like, no. Not not letting you ship this back. Somebody's going to pay for this. Yes. And the British people are basically like, seriously, we're just the boats. We're not going to pay for this. Yeah. No. Somebody will pay for this. And so they're at the stalemate, right? This heightens tension in a crowd of 7,000, as one might assume. It, it gets later in the day, and the records show that between 30 and 130, which is like a very oddly specific but also vague number. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not like 1 to 200. It's like there was a 30 in there somewhere. <laughs> somewhere, right? Uh, disguised as Native Americans, ostensibly to symbolize that they were loyal to the Americas, not the British. Which is a really shitty way to show that, considering you showed up and just took the fucking land from these people. Right. It also, to me, feels like they were like, oh, it wasn't us, if they get seriously in trouble. Yeah, possible. Right. They board these boats, and they're like, fuck it. We ball. (laughs) (laughs) These 30 to 130 men, unknown. A small subset of the overall protesters, by we should note, right? Yes. It yes. doesn't take everybody, like no. a specific action that is designed to send a very specific political message yes. through property destruction mm-hmm. does not have to be the full group of people who were pissed off enough to show up to protest this. Right. And the people who were leading this and giving directions are people like Sam Adams. They're like the legit higher ups of government in this Massachusetts colony. Yeah. Right? This is the people who will go on to be the legitimate leaders of what will become a new country. Indeed. So they dump out 342 crates of tea. It took three hours. <laughs> That's a, yeah, this is a concerted this is a effort. party. They destroyed 10,000 pounds of sterling worth tea, sterling worth of tea, which today would be about $1.7 million worth of tea. That's pretty solid. And then they leave. The crowds disperse, they go home, and the reaction to this is mixed. So most colonists are like, hell yeah, we are tired of tolerating a system that takes from us, but doesn't allow us to have any say in creating a government or a structure or a system that seems fair yeah, or relevant to our lives. We live in North America. You are in Britain. We have very different life experiences. We should be able to govern and get our needs met based on our very specific experiences. However, there are some, let's say, important 
people who were displeased with this. Some moderates in this debate. George Washington, for example, publicly made a fairly neutral statement, but in private was lit up about the destruction of property. One author talked about how George Washington, quote, like many other elites, held private property to be sacrosanct. This is not a new problem. Not even his private property. Private property of the tyrannical, like, king-endorsed monopoly on tea. That they already stole. Like, if you think this land is sacrosanct, stop taking it from people. Right? Again, the conceptions of private property there are deeply rooted in white supremacy. Like, from the very beginning. Deeply No problem coming in and taking the literal land from people, like, shooting, killing. Also, fucking own slaves, right? Like, let's not look past this. Exactly. So the private property conception is explicitly private property for white men. Yes. And he is like, if you're going to fuck with these other white men's property, I have reservations. I have reservations. Indeed. So when King George, a few months later, hears about the Boston Tea Party, because it actually doesn't get back to him for a while. I mean, yeah, it's a slow process. It's a slow process. He says, quote, I am much hurt that the instigation of bad men hath again drawn people of Boston to take such unjustifiable steps. Well, them's fighting words. He wanted to punish Boston. And so he immediately enacts a set of five acts called the Actual Coercion Acts. (laughs) (laughs) The Coercion Acts? The Coercion Acts. And those acts included... uh, or stated that the harbor would be closed until the shipments of tea were paid for by the town. Other acts included the uh, Massachusetts Government Act, which stripped the colony of its ability to appoint government officials. And Massachusetts gover- that same act granted the right to parliament and royal governors of the king alone. So he's taking away all of their ability to self-govern. Within And another part of this allowed for trials to be removed from a colony if the jury was understood to be biased. Basically, no longer guaranteed to be a jury of your peers because if you were committing crimes and all the Bostonians were like, yeah, sounds good to me. Fucking screw them, right? Throw it in the, in the harbor. Yes. They would be like, no, you don't get to have those people as your jury. Right. We, we get to pick your jury. Yes. And remember, all that the colonists were asking for was representation in the parliament. Mm -hmm. And so King George, because of his ego, escalates the tensions to prove a point, to assert more control. Uh, One other part of the Coercion Acts was the Quartering Act. Do you know about the Quartering Act? I I do remember, only because quartering is such a weird-ass thing to have specifically in the Bill of Rights. Yes. But... Uh, Yeah, so the quartering meant that soldiers Mm -hmm. could just commandeer your house. British soldiers. British soldiers could come in and commandeer your house and basically just stay with you, eat your food. Yes. Take over your shit. Right, because there were still, again, four or 5,000 British soldiers left in the colonies. It's very expensive to ship soldiers back and forth, you might imagine. Yeah, I don't have a ton of experience in the shipping of soldiers on boats. Yes. But it sounds expensive. So the coercion acts are quite unwelcome. Turns out most things uh, with the name coercion Mm -hmm. in the name, not super popular. So where previously there had been uh, organized groups in the cities, Boston, New York, Philadelphia, 
At this point, militias start to form in rural areas of all of the colonies. Rebellions took place and uh, the battles of Lexington and Concord, what we now know to be like the initial battles that sparked the American Revolution, off to the races. So instead of just giving these people some modicum of control over the way that they're governed, we have now entered the Revolutionary War. Yeah, I mean, basically, with, with a slightly smaller ego, we may today be the most successful British colony as opposed to the United States of America. And again, like the irony of this is that the taxes that the king put on the colonies were to pay for the Seven Years' War. And now they have started another war. Yeah, that's going to... Sounds expensive. Any chance you know how long the Revolutionary War lasted? Okay, so we were like 75, 76 through 78, 79, four or five years? Eight years. Eight? Oh, man, I thought it was a lot shorter than that. Okay. Me too. Me too. Eight this, years. This is what happens when you study this in like sixth grade. Yeah, right. You lose <laughs> it over the next while. 20 years. It has been a while. At some point in this eight years, the king's ministers... Again, we're like pleading with him to stop. Hey, you remember that seven years of war? This is this is looking longer than that, sir. Yes. They're like, we're poorer than before. Our soldiers are dying. It is so expensive to recruit and send more men over to the colonies. The king was determined to, quote, never acknowledge the independence of the Americans and to punish their contumacy. I have no idea what that means. Me either. Can barely pronounce it. <laughs> Contumacy by the indefinite prolongation of war, which promised to be eternal, and to keep the rebels harassed, anxious, and poor until the day when, by a natural and inevitable process, discontent and disappointment were converted into penitence and remorse. Yeah. Um... That's some fucked up shit. Just like, we're going to fight until you come crawling back. We're going to let our people die. We're going to kill them until they're real sad and surrender. Well, don't see what could go wrong with this plan. Jump ahead eight years. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And we all know how this ends. In fact, there's wording in the Declaration of Independence that is sort of um, a nod to King George. They talk about the, quote, repeated injuries and usurpations as an attempt to establish a absolute tyranny over the colonies. So that is George up through the Tea Party and through the American Revolution. We're going to leave out like the next 40 years of his life where he does really shitty stuff also. I mean, I mean, imagine he's his ego is pretty hurt and he does not take this well and does not become like all of a sudden an enlightened ruler of the British people. Quite the opposite. In fact, after the American Revolution, his mental health deteriorates. He has bouts of mania and this genetic disease called porphyria that he had is triggered. Fun fact, this genetic disease causes his urine to turn purple. (laughs) And that's something people talk about. (laughs) How do people know? I mean, I really don't feel like there's a lot of privacy when, like, your servants are throwing your piss out the window. Oh, sure. You get bed pain. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. gross. He recovers, but he has bouts of mental health concerns throughout the rest of his reign. Later in his life, this causes the parliament to pass the Regency Act of 1811, which is basically the 25th Amendment. It provides that should the king 
become incapacitated or deemed as such, the heir apparent would take over oh. and act on behalf of the king. So they're like, you, you're done, basically. Yes. He develops dementia. And then <laughs> Christmas of 1819, he apparently spoke nonsense for 58 hours straight. Wow. And then he died a month later. Just babbling. Babbling, incoherence, as if he had access to a whole bunch of amphetamines. Yeah, right. I mean, like, that sounds that sounds appropriate. Yep. So there you go. That is King George and uh, the much-celebrated Boston Tea Party. King George, definitely not my hero. Not my hero either. But to all the folks protesting, working together in the middle of a global pandemic, having to go out and protest for human rights, uh, stay safe. And if you're able, as a listener, donate. Donate to bail funds. Yes. Give money to the people who know this cause and this fight better than you do. Because chances are, if you're a white person listening to this, you don't know the fight very well. So give money. Let let them lead. Follow. And if you can be out there, don't take your cell phones. Bring saline. Mm. Not milk. Okay. And be careful. Stay safe. Be careful. Until next time. Don't be a hero. Never be a hero.